Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, October 20th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. This week, the Frankfurt Book Fair marked its 75th year. Any celebration, though, was overshadowed by world events. Yeah, I think expectations were really high in the buildup to the 2023 Frankfurt Book Fair. You know, we're another year removed from the pandemic, uh, and the fair was set to celebrate its 75th anniversary. But as the fair officially opened on Wednesday, geopolitical tensions, most prominently the war between Israel and Hamas, were having a pretty pronounced impact. Now, unfortunately, I'm not there. I really wish I was able to attend this year. It didn't work out. But you can read all our reports on the PW website, and all of our show daily coverage is up on the PW website, too. We have a great team in place there. And it sounds like it was a very busy time for the publishers and authors and everyone who was there. But the business of the fair, I think, kind of took a backseat to world events, as you know, the horrific attack on Israel and the war that is coming. And you just get the sense that the world is on fire. And, you know, and it's not just the situation in the Middle East, right, for a second straight year. The Russian national stand has been banned in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, And that bloody, awful war is well into its second year now. There's book banning going on in America and surging nationalism in Europe. All of this was brought up at the fair's opening press conference. But it's just where to start, right? I wish I had more to talk about when it comes to this year's Frankfurt Book Fair. But I think you've kind of found me here in the unfamiliar position of being at a loss for words. I, I guess I'll just say this, you know. I've gotten to know Frankfurt Book Fair director Jurgen Bose a little bit over the years, and I can tell you this much. He's never shied away from his mandate to bring publishers from around the world together as an industry in defense of peace, in defense of democracy, of free speech, whatever the politics. And I know he believes deeply in this mission. It's not just all about business for him. He's truly invested in this. So I'm sure He's feeling acutely the issues that are going on this year, the absence of the Arab and Israeli publishers, for example, the horror that's unfolding in the Middle East and in Ukraine and and American libraries and schools and across Europe. And I'm going to go out on a limb and bet here that the Frankfurt Book Fair is going to work hard to address these issues and find a way to come back really strong next year. Educational publisher Scholastic has found itself on the defensive for a plan to offer an optional collection of diverse titles at its book fairs. The publisher says the Share Every Story, Celebrate Every Voice offering is intended to keep school officials and librarians out of harm's way in places where new book banning laws and policies might put them in jeopardy. Critics counter that segregating diverse books only paves the way for censorship. Yes, exactly. This is a big story here. Scholastic book fairs are on the defensive this week, uh, stemming from the creation of that new Diverse Stories offering. And specifically, it's the optional nature of that collection that really is at issue here. The controversy first erupted on social media last month when educators began raising concerns and sharing stories that the company was requiring school fairs to opt into or out of the Share Every Story, Celebrate Every Voice offering. Uh, which effectively gave school officials the option to eliminate a wide swath of titles that foreground the representation of diverse identities, uh, BIPOC, LGBTQ+, disabled, and so on. Uh, this according to critics on social media. Uh, website The Mary Sue reported that several librarians 
were explicitly asked if they wanted this case with diverse books, and were told that Scholastic does not list the titles in separate book fair catalogs being sent to parents, even when the school you know, requests to have this offering included. Independent journalist Judd Legum dubbed the option Scholastic's bigot button. Uh, it's kind of taken off from there, uh, and a bunch of major national news outlets have since picked up the story. Now, in response, Scholastic is insisting that it created the collection for U.S. elementary school book fairs only as a way to continue providing access to these diverse books, not to censor them, uh, because we have a number of states and localities, as we've discussed on this show, that are now pursuing legislation and other policies around content selection that could potentially put librarians and school officials in jeopardy, and not just in jeopardy of losing their jobs, but in jeopardy of going to jail. But I have to say... I side with the critics here. I don't know that that really passes the smell test. And critics have been pointing out that many of the books in the Share Every Story collection are really not controversial at all. Furthermore, it's still unclear what, if any, penalties or actions librarians or school officials might face for making titles available in connection with a book fair setting, right? Remember, this isn't in the curriculum or even in the library. These are books that kids can shop for and buy. Uh, what's really going on here, critics say, is that Scholastic Book Fairs is kind of seeking to protect its own business from the same screeching would-be censors on the right to, you know, sort of not find their businesses being targeted, right? And that they don't want to be targeted like libraries and schools have been by these same groups that are seeking to ban books. And this is big business for Scholastic Book Fairs, right? They reach 35 million children annually in all 50 states and internationally. So this week, Scholastic Book Fair officials are pushing back. They say it's a misconception that the company was putting all of its diverse titles into one optional case and that there remains a wide range of diverse titles in every book fair for every age level. But so far, from what I'm hearing, the librarians really aren't buying it. And I think that's telling because when the people you claim to be protecting are coming back and saying what you're doing is wrong, I think you have to pay attention to that. You've reported frequently on this podcast and in PW, Andrew, on legislation and policies that restrict access to so-called controversial book titles. What's your sense of the situation with Scholastic? Well, I think it's a serious issue, and I think Scholastic Book Fairs has a problem here. Look, if this was truly about protecting school officials and librarians, I wonder where the collaboration was here, right? And it's not clear at all that the community was really involved in creating this solution. And judging by the negative reaction uh, to the collection, uh, it sure seems like librarians and school officials were not deeply consulted before this product rolled out. Uh, my personal sense is that this is kind of an important, potentially a dangerous moment because it portends a normalization of these book banning policies, right? You have this loud minority objecting to certain books and you have a major business partner saying, okay, let me fix that for you. That's not a position I think we really want anyone in the publishing industry to be in. Also, you know, the librarians are right about what's in this new collection, right? Among the 64 books in there, there's picture books like uh, Change Sings by Amanda Gorman. There's, you know, Red, A Crayon Story by Michael Hall. Uh, you Are Not Enough, You Are Loved, which is a disability-positive story. The collection also includes I Am Ruby Bridges by civil rights icon Ruby Bridges and Colin Kaepernick's I Color Myself Different. There really isn't any reason not to include those books in the fair's general offerings. There really isn't a reason to separate them out unless you're going to market them additionally, uh, not in spite of or as, as an alternative. 
uh, into a separate collection. I could see no reason to make any of those books optional. Now, in a statement this week, Penn America kind of walked both sides. Penn said it was essential to lay the blame on legislators and activists who are putting Scholastic and other publishers in this sort of impossible bind when it comes to the distribution of all of these diverse books, uh, noting that there really is a climate of fear taking hold in schools and libraries. But at the same time, Penn said that sequestering books on these topics is a bad idea, risk depriving students and families of books that speak to them, and they urge Scholastic to rethink the program. And just one final thought on this all. A lot of people saw this coming. One person in particular, Kelly Jensen at Book Riot, has been talking about this for a while. Kelly, of course, is, I think, the foremost chronicler of this wave of book bans through her weekly censorship news roundup at Book Riot. And she wrote about this very topic last month, warning readers not to be surprised when this book banning movement came for school book fairs, noting that there have been many, many attempts reported in local media to go after these books being made available to kids through book fairs. And she even reported some that pertain to Scholastic. She reported that, for example, board members in Minnesota simply were removing titles they didn't like from the Scholastic book fair. Another district disallowed a Scholastic book fair. And in one instance, Jensen reported a candidate it for a school board seat claimed that scholastic book fairs were enticing educators to quote indoctrinate students and you know one last note here too jensen correctly points out how this whole thing really puts the lie to one of the book banners foundational claims here and the claim of course is that they're not banning books you know they just have some thoughts on what's appropriate in schools and libraries well you can see by the attacks on these book fairs that they're not okay with kids buying these books that they don't like either. Also this week, Andrew, tattered cover bookstore chain, Denver's famous indie bookseller, announced it's filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in court. Yes, yeah, so this is another story worth watching. I think if simply because it's you know either a story about mismanagement or a story about the larger challenges facing indie booksellers or perhaps a little bit of both. But as you know, we learned this week that tattered cover bookstore one of the country's largest and best-known independent bookstores filed for this new streamlined version of Chapter 11, and we learned that they owe more than a million dollars to publishers, as well as, and this is interesting, more than $375,000 to Colorado's uh, state auditor for abandoned gift cards. Now, the good news is that the store's owners say that once they get this all sorted out, they're going to get some new funding, and they're going to use that funding to keep the business going and get books for the important holiday season and get things right. But various companies that are supplying books to Tattered Cover said they're going to need a little time to get a better understanding of how this is all going to work before they figure out how to work with the store in the future. And I think the really bad news here is that a number of the chain's stores, they have seven in all, I think they're going to be closing at least three of them. And 27 staff positions are going to be cut out of Tattered Cover's current 103 positions. The original Tattered Cover is a venerable American bookstore, of course, first opened in 1971. And it's had the sort of long history of being a great indie at the forefront of important fights for free speech and First Amendment rights. So we're all going to certainly hope that the Tattered Cover gets this right and recovers quickly because it's really hard to imagine uh, U.S. indie book selling without it. So we wish them well. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always.
Our next CCC podcast appears on Tuesday, not Monday as usual, to coincide with the awarding of the Maddox Prize, a joint initiative of the charity Sense About Science and the leading international scientific journal Nature. Since 2012, the John Maddox Prize has recognized individuals who advance public discussions around challenging topics. Past winners include Dr. Anthony Fauci for his efforts to communicate the science behind COVID-19. Sense About Science founder Tracy Brown told me about the risks scientists and researchers take when standing up for science. We've seen situations where we've had people who um, have been nominated um, for, for monitoring work, um, environmental monitoring work in countries like Iran, um, where they've been accused of spying. There are, you know, and that's obviously a life and death situation. A, a former winner is, uh, was an Indonesian um, forensics, fire forensics expert who withstood the pressure to sort of join with palm oil companies and to portray science that would um, make it seem as though fires were naturally starting um, in the rainforest when in fact they were being started purposefully. Um, so I think the kind of courage you see in that situation where life and limb is at risk um, is, is important. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.